Everybody doing okay? Good? All right? Good? Good. Is anyone else just perpetually tired this time of year? I feel like I'm always tired. It's just, uh, it gets worse and worse when the sun goes down at like 3.45 in Tennessee. And it's, uh, anyway, so we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Started this last week. We did a brief intro, a little bit about the author, the city, kind of the nature of, of this particular letter, and did chapter one, which is pretty short, um, what this is, uh, a guy named Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, about 70% of the New Testament, wrote letters to a bunch of churches, mostly in the Mediterranean area, in modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece. He wrote one, of course, to a church in Italy, the, the Book of Romans. And um, these letters were to encourage churches, to correct churches if they were doing something wrong. Um, and Thessalonians was written to a church in northeastern Greece, in a city called Thessalonica. It was a young church, not necessarily young in age, but young in the fact that they hadn't been Christians for a long time. Very healthy church, a good group of people. Paul talks very, very highly of them. Of course, there's always issues with humanity because we're humans, right, and we're imperfect. And he corrects mistakes, encourages them. And chapter one, if you haven't read any of Paul's letters, chapter one of his letters typically start off with, hey, how you doing? You know, hope it's good to hear from me. I hope to hear from you. Salutations, greetings, right? And chapter one of, of First Thessalonians is kind of like that. And he's saying some really positive things about the church. And then he kind of drops this bomb right at the end of chapter one. And it's only, you know, 10 verses or whatever. And he talks about, you have received Jesus who rescues us from coming wrath. And that just kind of comes out of left field, doesn't it? The wrath of God. Wow, we're going to talk about that so quickly. But that's what we talked about last week is we have to understand that at the end of our lives, if you've never heard it explained like this, at the end of our lives, we are given over to what we've always wanted in this life, either a life with Jesus or an eternity with Jesus or a life separated from Jesus. So if we have lived life on our terms and the way we want them, right? We, we want our lives, we control everything. At the end of this life, God gives us over to a life separated from him because we've wanted to be separated from him. At the end of our life, if we have lived a life dedicated to Christ, we live in eternity with Christ, right? And if you understand in the Bible that separation from God, that, that, that there's nothing good apart from God, that means if we're eternally separated from him, it's gonna be bad. And so last week we talked about the ramifications of choosing our path over the path of God, right? Choosing what we want over what God wants, that there are ramifications for that. There are consequences for that. This week, Paul is going to end chapter two in a similar fashion. Uh, he's also going to talk about the second coming of Christ right there at the end of chapter two, but it's going to be a, a little bit different. It's more of this uh, idea of joy and rest and peace, but in order to have that joy and rest and peace and that eternity with God, and I'm talking about peace right now on earth as well, we have to 100% receive Jesus. What that means is, is we cannot just give God three-fourths of our lives, right? God has to get all of our lives in order for us to achieve that rest, that peace, that hope, that joy that God wants for us. We have to completely submit, completely surrender, give him 100%, right? It's an all or nothing type deal with Jesus. And that's what we're gonna ask today. Uh, we're gonna ask if we have honestly, completely given our lives to Jesus. When I say honesty, guys, I don't know if anyone else is on this kick besides me. I'm on this just like, I just want real right now. I'm so sick of the facade, I'm so sick of fake, and it's everywhere around us in America right now that I don't care what kind of music it is or what the TV show's about or who stars in the movie. If it's honest, that's what I want right now. I just want honest. Even if I don't 100% agree with everything, if it's honest feelings, I just want honest right now. And so today, you and I are gonna have to be honest with ourselves with each other, of course, with God, because he knows anyways, right? But if we have come into this place today just um, hoping for a couple, of, uh, a couple of good feels, right, you know, and we leave and we're just kind of clocked out again until next Sunday, that's really not being a Christian at all. That's not what this is about. So we have to dig in deep. We have to ask hard questions, right? And we have to not be so easily offended and run to our safe spaces or whatever we do, right? So like, like, let's just be honest today and let's address the word and let's let the word address us, okay? So I'm gonna pray. You should've got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything, already you guys are like, today's gonna suck. It's not, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be good. We're, we're gonna like it, right? The, the word is always good, right? I promise. So 
Anyways, you should have got a notes hand out when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes, everything is on there. If you have a Bible, we're right after the book of Colossians. I always check like it's moved or something. No, it's still after Colossians, and we're doing 1 Thessalonians chapter two, okay? So let me pray. We'll get into this, and, and we'll see where God takes us, all right? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love you so much. Lord, I love this church. I pray that you bless our church this morning. God, thank you for the freedom that we have right now to get to do what we're doing. Lord, I pray that the study of your word today, that it just blesses us, God, that, Lord, I pray that every church in our city is blessed by your word today, God, and by the teaching of those pastors. I pray that all of our campuses are blessed, God, and I pray, Lord, for the churches in those cities. Pray for the wonderful nonprofits we work with, God, and we just pray, Lord, that everything we talk about today, Lord, that, that it honors you and that it glorifies you. And Lord, if we honor and glorify you, Lord, we're, we're blessed as a result of that, God. So I just pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on us, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is Paul speaking to a church in Thessalonica, which is in northeast Greece, and this is what he says in chapter two, okay? For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So the first time that Paul ever went to Thessalonica, he went with Silas and Timothy. Uh, by the world's standards, it was a pretty epic failure. They go into town to start a church and spread the gospel. They got beat up multiple times and run out of town. To the world, they would say they failed. To Paul and to God, they looked at it as a success. Why? Because the gospel took root in that area. A group of people heard it and the gospel started to spread in that area. It talks about that more in the book of Acts, I think chapter 17, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not incorrect. So what that brings up to us is we as Christians in this room, we have to see success the way God sees success, not the way American culture views success. Because I hate to tell you this, right? You're told that money and being hot and like partying all the time and climbing the corporate ladder, that all those things are success. Now, I have nothing wrong with being successful in American standards as far as it's fine. If you're attractive, that's wonderful. Good for you. Like if you're climbing the corporate ladder, that's great. If you have a really nice house, I got nothing wrong with nice houses. But those things are fleeting, right? And they're temporary in what they produce. And that is not the biblical definition of success. There's a lot of rich, hot people who have never succeeded in this life. And let me tell you what that means. Biblical success is one, having a strong relationship with your creator. It is having a strong relationship with your spouse if you're married or if you're single, that you live in righteousness and your singleness. It's raising your children to not only be good citizens of this country, but good citizens of the government and kingdom of God. It is by obeying the commands of God. That is biblical success. And this produces long lasting fruit, right? So we as Christians need to understand what true success is. Just because we don't live in the nicest neighborhood in the county doesn't mean we're not successful. If you got a healthy marriage, that's success, right? If you got kids that love and fear God and respect you, that's success. If you are living by the commands and principles of this book, that is success. Doesn't matter how much is in your bank account, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what your position is, it work, okay? So we have to know what success is. Paul was also imprisoned everywhere he went virtually. He was beat up and imprisoned and on several of those occasions, Paul would use his Roman citizen, uh, his citizenship to, to hold that into account. Now, if you weren't here last week, Paul was a Jew, but he was born out of Israel in an area called Lebanon in, in uh, what is now kind of the modern day Syria area a little bit. He was born in that area. 
And that gave him Roman citizenship. And what Paul would do is he would get beat up or run out of town. And there was on occasion, he would say, you can't do that. That's against the law. So what we see here, and this has been the last couple of years in the United States, it is a delicate balance to exercise the fact that yes, we do have freedoms, right? As citizens of the United States and as just humans, we have certain rights. But as Christians, there are times that we are to lay those rights down. We hate that in the United States. You know a phrase that I got really sick of the last two years? It's my right. It's my right. Listen, if you wanna know about sacrificing rights, just read anything about Jesus in the Bible. He was the creator of the universe. He can do whatever he wants, but there were times he laid down his rights for the betterment of humanity. And Christians are also called at times to lay down their rights for the betterment of humanity. But I'm an American, it's my right. I hope everyone knows, you know the Constitution and the Bible are not the same thing. You guys know that, right? A lot of American Christians confuse the two. They're not the same thing. I'm not saying the Constitution is not important and not well-written and not even inspired by God. I believe that it probably was, but it's not the Bible. And there are times when this word calls us to do something that we may have the right to do, but just because we have, just because it's permissible doesn't always mean that it's beneficial. It's the scripture, the Bible says that. And so Paul had to find that balance. And though Paul and, and, and his friends, right, they faced beatings, they were made fun of, they were thrown in jail, they did not relent on the gospel. Now this brings up another tension that we as Christians have to deal with in our world right now. We are called by God to follow the laws of the land. Romans chapter 13, Paul wrote that, right? That if a law is a God-honoring law, that it doesn't contradict the Bible, that if it's for our safety or whatever, we are to follow it like wearing a seatbelt, but it's my God-given right to not wear a seatbelt. No, it's not. That law is passed so you don't fly through the windshield at 85 miles per hour on I-24. That's a good law and we are to follow it because it helps keep us safe, right? But there are also times that laws suppress the gospel and when, when laws suppress the things of God, we are actually called to break those because the law of God usurps the law of man. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean that in the late 1950s and early 60s in the state of Tennessee, a black man could not go into a diner and order food. That doesn't honor God, that is against what the Bible teaches us about equality in humanity. So it was totally appropriate for a black pastor, right, a man named Martin Luther King Jr. to go in and to stage sit-ins, peaceful sit-ins in diners where black men and women would get the junk kicked out of them just by sitting in a diner, but that honored God because God loves all people regardless of color, right? So now black people can go into any diner or anywhere else that we go and they're treated equally. We can drink out of the same water fountains, go to the same schools because God's laws usurp laws like that. So we have to know the balance and the Bible is what shows you that balance. It's what teaches us that. We must also be careful not to give in to social pressure to teach a socially acceptable gospel, right? Just because things are legal in the United States doesn't mean that they are moral. And so we have to make sure that we are teaching the Bible, right? Just because something is free doesn't mean that it is moral. And the point is this, it is not to please people, it is to please God. Paul says, the message that I gave you, it didn't come from human error. I didn't make it up. It came from God. Listen, not only does the word come from God, it says in John chapter one that the word is God. That doesn't mean that you're holding the Bible and, and this is God, right? I'm holding God, right? No, no, no. It means you're holding the mind of God, his thoughts, his instructions, his standards on how we are to live. Now, listen. What is going on? I think the fourth denomination I heard on the radio last night is giving in to certain pressures in society and splitting because of things they're arguing about in this word. It is the absolute height of arrogance for us to look through this book and pick and choose what we want to follow and what we don't want to follow. Because if the word was made flesh and the word is God and we change it, we as the creation are saying that we know better than the creator and we're going to change it to fit what we want in our society. So here's the thing, though we are to live well amongst all people, we are to have a good reputation amongst all people, believers and non-believers, but we cannot sacrifice our biblical integrity. We cannot let go of those things. 
right? If we do, we are being arrogant, we are offensive to God, and God's not gonna handle it. That's why the last scripture in the entire book says if you take away from this, your name will be taken away from the Lamb's Book of Life. If you add to this, the plagues of this book will be added to you. That's the last thing that you read in that book. And so it is important that the word of God is communicated correctly. The only way we can correctly communicate the word of God is we have to have a relationship with God and we have to read the word of God. In fact, the word he uses is we have to be approved in verse four. That comes from a Greek word that means purified through testing in a fire. What that alludes to is, if you were to mine out gold from the earth, let's say you found a big chunk of gold this, this big from the earth, you would put it in this huge container, you would turn heat up on it to make, melt that gold into liquid. And what happens is the heat brings the impurities to the surface. Then they can remove the impurities and you are left with pure gold. The Bible says that's what God does to us. The problem is, is we come into church, right? And the Bible says something offensive about our lifestyles or how we act or what we do. I happen to be the one communicating that word to you. So you leave this place saying, I hate that guy. I hate this place because I felt bad today, right? It convicted me and I did not like that. It's the equivalent of walking into a gym, lifting weights one time and being, my arm is sore, I'm never going to exercise again, right? It's the equivalent of that. It's the same thing. But the only way to build muscle is to put tension on the arm. The only way to have purified goal is to turn up heat because it extracts the impurities. That's what God does to us. But it's for our betterment. And when God purifies us and sees us as approved, we are then able to go out and share that gospel with those around us. But God examines our hearts, Paul says. He looks at our hearts. And this is not for us. It's for the glory of God. Paul says, listen, I didn't say nice words to you to like get money from you. I didn't wanna manipulate you so I can buy a seventh jet and fly around the world. That's not why I was doing this. It wasn't for personal gain. So what we have to make sure that we're doing, all of us in this room that communicate the gospel, is we have to make sure that our motives are correct. Do you know what most Christians are concerned about right now in the United States? Not winning people to Jesus. We're just concerned about winning arguments. Everybody awake out there? Look on your Facebook. What are Christians talking about? Politics and economies and arguing about this and arguing about that. Man, it's not about winning people. It's just, I wanna be right. You know what I've learned the last probably four years, five years, is that we can say the right thing the wrong way long enough to where people would rather be wrong than be right with us. Amen. I've learned that the last couple of years. If we say the right thing the wrong way, if we say it with hatred and vitriol, and all, people would rather be wrong. They'd rather be wrong. So we need to make sure that our motives are correct. We also need to make sure that our insecurities don't get in the way of us sharing the gospel. The Bible says you don't always have to let your left arm know what your right arm is doing, right? So that means every time you do something good for the kingdom of God, you don't have to take a picture of it and put it on your Facebook. You don't have to do that, right? That's your insecurities. It's my insecurities. Guys, I'm insecure at times too. And we have to be careful, right? That we're doing all of this for the glory of God. That if someone sends me a message and they either say, you know, that's terrible or that's great or whatever the case may be, I have to be comfortable saying that at the end of this message, if all of you hate me and you hate what I talked about today, if God wanted me to do it, praise God, I did exactly what I'm supposed to do. And all of us have to make sure that all the glory is his and it's not us, right? But we're a culture that is addicted to being affirmed but we'll get to that here in a minute. <laughs> Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each of you, I like this, to live worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. 
So what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna say there are two approaches to making a disciple a follower of Jesus. The first approach is like a mom. You have to be nurturing, you have to be loving. I like, he gives this illusion of, of almost a woman breastfeeding, right? You have to be like that mom that feeds their child, nurtures, holds them, protects them, takes care of them, right? So Christians, we are called, when we walk with other people, right, in, in this, this kind of spiritual walk that we're doing, that we are to do it in a very gentle, loving way that we are to feed young Christians appropriately. What that means is this. You don't start off like a Bible study with a new believer with like the book of Ezekiel. You don't do that, right? Let's start with the book of Matthew. Let's start with something that's a little bit more palpable, a little bit more easily digestible. The Bible says we start off with milk and then we work our way to meat, right? Or in my case, uh, tofu. I don't know if you guys know that I don't eat meat. But anyways, so anyways, yeah, you work to like tougher gelatin. Anyways, so... Um, <laughs> It's like giving a, a baby a, a sirloin steak and being eat it. They can't eat it at that point. They, they're not built to eat that yet. So we feed young believers. We're patient with them. We walk with them as they mature in their faith. Not only that, to make a disciple of Jesus, it's not just teaching them. So we have discipleship classes here, but that's not the whole of discipleship. Now, teaching the word of God is a part of discipleship. But the other part of discipleship is living this life out with them. That means uh, uh, not only teaching them and holding them accountable and modeling what it means like to be a Christian, we are to be a friend with them. We are to hold them accountable when they've made a mistake. We're to go to movies with them. We're to have dinner with them. We're to live out life with them. That's what it means to be a disciple maker, right? To walk with them all the time, to be with them through the hard times, through the good times, everything in between. And we are to also model good conduct to them. This is where it gets difficult. So to be a Christian is to follow the example of Jesus. It doesn't mean we're perfect like Jesus, but we are to live devoutly, righteously, blamelessly. So what that means is how we act matters. And here's the thing. We are going to make mistakes because we're people. And I don't know if anyone else feels like this right now. It is really, really difficult for those of us who have like a little bit of OCD in their blood. It is really hard to like go out to eat right now. I don't know if you guys have noticed how bad every restaurant is that you pay $14 for a pizza that's like the circumference of a softball and it comes out and it's like still doughy and the person who gives it to you doesn't care. And you go to a restaurant and you're just like, Jesus, you know, like praying for God to just wash over you. And you're like, God, please don't let them know where I work for a living. And because you just want to get angry because it's just terrible right now, right? Customer service is awful. And you got some 16 year old who makes $17 to work at a fast food place that treats you like you're stupid. And it's really hard to like, to, to be a model of this. But here's, is this just me today, right? Is anyone else just awful besides me? Anyways, so... We have to stop in those moments, right? And we have to say, like I said last week, this may be the only example of Jesus that this person sees today. I gotta calm down, right? If it's $8, whatever, it's $8. It's, it, 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 it's not a big deal. And so we have to be in humility. And even if we make a mistake, hey, why is this $14 pizza not cooked and has onions on it when I ask for no onions, right? So why has this happened? But even if we kind of lose our cool, if we will just be humble and say, hey, look, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I shouldn't have treated you like that. People will show you grace most of the time. God shows you grace, but we have to walk in humility in order to model these things the way we should. So look at this. So the first thing we have to do, Paul says, is we have to be like a good mom. Think of a nursing mother, right, that loves her child that much, giving them sustenance, being patient with them, being kind with them. We have to be like that mom. He also says we have to be like a dad, which means that firm love, that encouragement, that obedience, that kind of nudging you to be excellent. He even says like God pushes us to live worthy of God, that there is that, that kind of firm fatherly side as well. Now, here's what's interesting. If I were to take a poll in this room, I'm not going to. Maybe the reasons why, maybe the main reason why American culture is so screwed up right now is we have the largest fatherless home population that we've ever had. So a lot of us, including myself, guys in here, I don't have a relationship with my dad. A lot of us in this room and a lot of people out in society have gotten kind of that nurturing, mothering side, but we have never had that firm side that teaches us to have like tough conversations and address people who may think differently than us and 
be pushed towards excellence and hard work, the things that we should be getting from kind of that father figure. So now, like in college universities, instead of us having tough conversations, we build rooms called safe spaces so no one can speak anything that I might disagree with because I'm gonna cry and like shut down. And this is the society we've created, right? We've basically emasculated society because men have not stepped up and been what they're supposed to be. And we wonder why we have this huge issue in our culture. And it's a biblical thing, right? We need that nurturing matriarch and we need that firm, encouraging patriarch as well. We need both of them. Now listen, if you're in this place and you're like, well, I didn't have a dad, what do I do? That's why we have the church family. There are patriarchs in this room. There are matriarchs in this room. If you will get plugged in, not only that, we have the perfect heavenly father. So we're with that excuse if we have the Holy Spirit, right? But this is how we are to raise disciples. We love them, we nurture them, but man, listen, sometimes you gotta put your foot on people's butts and be like, you can do better, right? You can be higher than this, right? You can be excellent. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't get your feelings hurt every time someone disagrees with you. Don't be so offended. Go out and talk to people, right? Engage the world out there, okay? All right. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, that's the region, since you also have suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they must be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you, For a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord, uh, the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Oftentimes people will come up to me and they're being very, very sincere and, and I appreciate them doing this. People come up to me and they'll say, Corey, we love this church. You know, Thank you so much. Thank your team. What can we do for you? If you've ever come up to me and said that, you've probably heard me say this response. Just keep being faithful to the church. Just keep being faithful to God. All I really want out of this is for people to, to, to grab onto the word, to grab onto Jesus and not go to hell. So I can imagine what Paul is saying here. He goes, I thank you all the time because you accepted the word. He's basically telling, telling the church in, in Thessalonica, thank you for not going to hell. Thank you, right? Thank you for choosing this and being saved. Because our biggest hope, I'm gonna be a jerk here for a second. Our biggest hope should be the salvation of others. And now I know that's not everyone's biggest hope. You wanna know why? Because this church, when we have baptism weekends, the attendance goes down about 15 to 20%. But Corey, I've heard it multiple times, but you haven't seen those people get baptized multiple times. That's their first time. This is the whole reason why the church exists, so people can be put into the family of God. I don't care if you've heard it 25 times over the years. This is the biggest thing that we do, right? And it really hurts my heart when we have baptism weekends and I know it's just gonna be low. I know they're gonna be low weekends, right? So is the, is the greatest joy of the Christian the salvation of others? It needs to be. And when people are saved, we should see proof of that salvation because it says that when the Bible is applied to our lives, it is effective. So if someone gets baptized and five years later, they're, they're still living the exact same way, something is amiss, right? Because when the word of God is applied to our lives, it changes how we live. It is effective in how we live. So Paul says, you, you, you clinged on to the word, clung on to the word, whatever the word is there, you, you held on to it, that's good. Second thing is, you were willing to suffer for your faith. So in suffering for our faith, we actually connect with Jesus on a deeper level because Jesus suffered for us. 
Now, if you say this to American culture, it makes absolutely no sense to the world that you and I live in. Because in the United States, it's not about doing anything for anyone else, right? Especially suffering. It is about comfort. It is about ease. It is about the pursuit of happiness. I hate, hate, hate when I hear Christians say, God just wants me to be happy. Show me the scripture reference for that. Show me where that is. Now, listen. God wants you to have joy and contentment. Those are fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But happiness and joy are completely different things. Happiness is contingent on your circumstances. That is always fleeting and it will always, it's a moving target. Joy and contentment is based on your relationship with God, not contingent on what is going on in the world around you. That means just like Stephen in Acts chapter seven, you can have a smile on your face saying, God, forgive these people who are throwing rocks at my head trying to kill me, which they did, right? That we can even have joy and contentment while the world is killing us. That's what God wants you to have. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be content. He wants you to produce joy. And part of our joy comes from, if Jesus hung on a cross for me for nine hours, and if I can suffer and somehow pay that back a little bit, I find joy in that, right? There is honor in that, and the world doesn't understand that, but we as Christians, we should, we should. There is also the side of Jesus that people don't like to talk about, right? In fact, someone said this to me just the other night, right? That Jesus never followed a book and that he accepted everyone. And I said, you have never read the Bible, right? Jesus quotes the Old Testament 80 times, says he was the fulfillment of that book, right? So he followed a book, the one he authored. And not only that, he was not inclusive of all people. And we see that right here in this, that people who not only oppose the teachings of God, but impede others from hearing the teachings of God, Paul says that they are filling up their sins to the limit. And one day God's not going to have it. His wrath is going to overtake them. Now, listen, here's the thing. God will forgive anyone. Peter is the perfect example of that. Peter was a murderer, Peter pulled people out on the street and killed them. Acts chapter seven, I just said Stephen. Paul's the guy that had him killed. But because Paul humbled himself, God forgave him and used him to be one of the most prolific writers of the Bible, except for maybe Moses and David. And so he became one of the most important figures in all of Christianity. God will forgive us, any of us, right? But if we are arrogant, if we are unrepentant, And if we are oppressive, one day we will meet God's judgment. One day we will meet God's wrath. And that's something we do not want to meet. That is something we do not want to see. I'm sorry, not Peter. Paul loved this church. He says, I cannot wait to see you again because you are my glory and joy. And what this made me think of, and I don't think you guys are like this, but Christianity is like this, especially in the South. We are extremely territorial. It's not that we're Christians, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Church of Christ, I'm a non-denominational, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm whatever. We have these camps, right? And we're very territorial. And I'm gonna tell you guys this, when we cross the threshold in heaven, you're not gonna give two rips who is a Baptist or a Catholic. You're just gonna care that people are in heaven and not in hell. It's not about that. So listen, we should have joy. We should have joy and wherever we go on planet earth, if we need a, meet another believer, it should be like this. We're meeting a brother that we didn't know we had. We're meeting a sister that we didn't. There should be this joy. It's not about where you go and where I go, right? It's about that we're trying to get more people into heaven and less people in hell. That's what we're trying to do. That should be our joy. And Paul said, this is interesting. He said that Satan hindered him from going back to Thessalonica. Now, what Paul means is, he believed that anything that hindered the gospel was a spiritual attack. Now, we have to be careful with this, not because Paul was wrong or the Bible is wrong, but because we can very easily be wrong. As Christians, especially in the United States, we can go to these two extremes. We can go to the one extreme to where we don't believe anything is spiritual. We believe it's all mechanical, right? That, that it's, it becomes basically religion. It's, it's very, very mechanical. We don't believe that there is demonic oppression. We don't believe in angels. We don't believe in demons. We don't believe that certain things are spiritual. We don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in any of that stuff. Very, very mechanical. That's one extreme. The other extreme is we become that weirdo that when people sneeze, we're like, hey man, let's pray that out of you. And I'm like, I just got dust up my nose, right? So like, it's not a demon. It's just, you know, there is biology, there is science, there is logic, there is reason. So 
we don't want to be that extreme either, where everything's the devil, right? Man, I was looking up and, you know, hit my toe and broke it. The devil's after me. I'm like, no, you were texting and walking, right? So like, that was you. That's not the devil. You're giving him way too much credit, right? What's that old story? The devil was crying on a stump and a, a Christian walked by and said, what's wrong? And he says, you Christians blame me for everything, right? So sometimes it's, it's just us, right? So we have to find that place in the middle because I'm gonna tell you, guys, the Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There is demonic influence in the world. There is demonic possession, oppression. I've seen it. I've prayed for people that had demons in them and seen them delivered. I've seen these things. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are real. They're alive. They work. There are miracles, the things of God. There is so much going on. We are not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. We get it backwards. So we have to pray for discernment to see, feel, understand these things. And if, if we will just read our Bibles, right? It really gives us a lot of clarity and explanation on how to find that balance. So Paul ends for the second time in two weeks, right? About Jesus's return. This time, not quite as heavy, right? It's a little bit more about this joy, this expectancy, this excitement of Jesus coming back for his people. But what Paul did really, really well is Paul understood our life, this life, right, that we're living, in relation to the afterlife. He understood that very, very well. And everything we have covered in Thessalonians up to this point affirms this idea that our lives now, listen, our lives right now affect our forever. What we do with this life affects where we will be and how our forever looks. And that is something that I really think is worth talking about and thinking about. And if we are gonna think about how we use our lives now affects our eternities, I think the first good question to ask, listen, honest. We have to be honest today. We have to be honest. And the first question is, who and what do we live for? Who and what do we live for? Which means, what is your definition of success? Is your definition of success a PhD? Listen, I have nothing wrong with a PhD, right? I have nothing wrong with higher education, none of that. But if you do not feel like you have succeeded until you get that PhD, is that a biblical gauge of success? Is it living in that neighborhood? Is it having a million dollars in the bank? Is it retiring at 55 or 65 or well, what is your level of success, right? Is it being attractive? Because if you're young in here, I hate to tell you, like, it gets harder as you get older, right? You're hanging on to something that is not going to be there forever. What is our level of success? Or, or is our level of success the fact that I honor God with my life? That I have a good marriage? That my children understand and love the Lord, right? That I'm a good citizen, that I'm generous, that I love those around me. What is our definition of success? And it boils down to who are we living for, ourselves or for the glory of God? And listen, though we should have a good reputation, to the best of our abilities, we should have a good reputation with all people. But I think sometimes we have a tendency to go too far and we are overtly concerned with impressing others. That's why social media is such a big deal right now. Because social media is a platform to make sure that others know that we are doing really, really well. We've created this kind of alternate reality that life is a movie, I'm the main star and you guys are all minor characters in it, right? That's how we all walk around, that's how we live. But do we understand, listen, that we may be constantly trying to impress others or carry this facade that we're living this lifestyle or doing this thing or we've achieved these things. I always joke around, I get a kick out of people's explanations of themselves on social media, world traveler, entrepreneur, thinker, developer. And I'm like, you're a college student that's never been past like, like the Mississippi River, right? So like, anyways, so we, we think a lot of ourselves, right? And we do that to, to hopefully impress other people, right? But do we understand that ultimately we have to answer to God? And listen, all our facades don't, don't fool him. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. He knows our thoughts. The Bible says he knew us before we were even knit together in our mother's womb. Before you were even biologically present, he knew. He knew everything, right? So ultimately we answer to him. 
And here's the thing. If we will live a life that glorifies God, here's the irony in the whole thing. Jesus says, if, if you choose to be first, or I'm sorry, if you choose to be last, I'll eventually make you first. Jesus says, if you will just make it about me, I'll bless you. <laughs> I'll take care of you. I'll give you all the things you've been looking for. If you will just make it, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's what Christ says to us. If we live a life that glorifies God, our lives are gonna be better. They're gonna be better. So one, who do we serve? Who are we trying to please? Second, are we walking with other people? Are we walking our faith out with other people? A really bad piece of theology is when I hear Christians say, man, it's just me and Jesus. You have not read your Bible. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the end, it is not about us going at it alone, right? That's why God said it's not good that mankind be alone. We are not meant to do this alone. We are meant to do this as a family unit. We're meant to walk this road with each other. Galatians 6, right? That we bear the burdens of others and that fulfills the law of Christ. That we are not meant to walk this alone. Who are you walking this faith out with? And here's the thing, though we will not be perfect, how we conduct ourselves around others matters. Our attitude matters. Your words matter. Your actions matter. These things matter. And if we make a mistake, let's just be humble enough to say, I screwed that up. Would you please forgive me? I lost my cool. Would you please forgive me? That we would be humble, right? And when it comes to our relationships, are we balanced? Are we nurturing and gentle like a good mom? And also, are we firm and challenging and encouraging? It has been both of those things. Both of those things. Yes, I nurture you, I love you, I will give you milk when you need it, but when it's time for you to eat meat, you're gonna eat meat, right? When it's time for you to go out, when it's time to have tough conversations, go out and do that. Well, I can't do it. Yes, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. I'm right behind you. We're gonna, we're gonna move you forward. A balance of the two, that we have to have both of those things. And is our greatest joy the salvation of others? Is the greatest accomplishment in your life discipling people into a relationship with Jesus Christ? your family, your friends, whatever the case may be, that should be the Christian's greatest accomplishment, our greatest joy. So when it talks about us, honestly, honestly, let me ask you, honestly, what is, your, what, what, what is the state of your relationship with Jesus? It's really, really good, Corey. Do you pray on a daily basis? It's like saying, this person's my best friend, but we never talk. It's, it's what it's like saying. Do we talk to Jesus on a regular basis? Do we have a desire to read the word of God? I was driving to go see my mom a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it briefly last weekend. And I put in First and Second Thessalonians from the YouVersion uh, app on my car just because I wanted to refresh myself a little bit. And I just listened to First Thessalonians 1 and 2. I bet it didn't take 15 minutes. So on our commute to work, Right? If you drive from one side of Murfreesboro to the other, you can listen to the entire Old Testament on the way <laughs> from Siegel to Blackman, right? If you're driving to Nashville, you can listen to the entire Bible all the way, every day to work, right? <laughs> yeah, truth, right? It is. Miserable, miserable truth. Anyway, so what is the state of our relationship with Jesus? I want you to honestly, honestly ask yourself that. How's my relationship with God? Is our relationship at such a point to where we would suffer for his name's sake? Talked about this last week, man. Had someone get upset at me, right? Are we at the place to where, you know, suffering is not losing a friend on Facebook. That's not suffering. Suffering is getting drug out in the street and beat for your faith. Would we do it? Suffering is the threat of your children being harmed. Would we do it? Are we there, right? Would I give it all? Do we understand that if we did? Listen, I haven't taught the book of Revelation in a while, right? I think the last time was 2018. If you read the book of Revelation, there's a certain section in heaven right now as we speak, specially reserved for the martyrs of Christ. Right now, they have like VIP seating in heaven right now because they have given their lives for Jesus. It is an honor. It is an honor to suffer for Christ because he has suffered for us. We need to get that deep into our core. And do we know that if we follow Christ, he'll give us what we need? Listen, he will give us what we need based on his wisdom. 
And we, we are not always gonna understand that. Let me tell you what that means. It may be God's best decision for you to always live in poverty. Because God knows if you had money that you would live a sinful life with it, right? God, why am I poor? God's like, one day in heaven, you're gonna understand why you were poor. Because maybe money was your greatest uh, uh, temptation. Maybe it was bad for you. Why did this young person die? Because in Isaiah 57.1, it says that young people die in battle and no one knows why, but it's because God kept them from the horrors of the future. God knows what he's doing. Do you believe it? Do you, wait, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Why are there people starving in other countries? Maybe because again, let me tell you something interesting about Africa where people are starving, the AIDS rate is over 25%, where naked children build soccer balls out of trash and play with it over there. You know what's funny over there? Every single one of them believes in some version of God. Atheism in Africa, they would laugh you out of town because they can't afford to not believe in God. And maybe God keeps certain parts, I don't know, I don't know God, but maybe God keeps people in certain places because all of them believe in God over there. You come to the United States where we live in the lap of luxury, and all we do is believe in ourselves, right? And we're eating ourselves alive. God knows what he's doing, even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't understand it, God knows what he is doing. Do we meditate on God? Do we think about God? Is he on our mind? Is he on our mind? Are we silent sometimes? Do we just go for a drive or do we just sit still and think about him? Do we follow the commands of God because we love him? Jesus says in, in, in John, I think it's chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That we do it simply because we love him. But not only because we love him, but because we know the commands of Jesus that followed gives us a better existence in this life. Not only that, it gives us an eternity in heaven. Why do we follow the commands of God if we follow the commands of God? It should be because we love him and because we know it makes life better here and better in eternity. And here's the last thing. Have we found rest in Jesus? Have we found peace and joy and hope in God? Have we done that? And I'm gonna make the argument, if you have not found rest and peace and joy and contentment in God, I would make the argument because there is a part of yourself that you are afraid to give him. Well, I've given him 99%. That's not enough. God wants 100%. Listen, that's why in election years, as a Christian that is sold out to Jesus, you don't have to absolutely lose your mind during election years. You don't have to lose all your friends because you post nasty things on social media. You don't have to live in constant fear of the government or the economy or whatever the case may be. Whenever we live in fear like that, it is because we are not close enough to the Prince of Peace. Because when we are... Corey, what are you saying? Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. He is perfect love, and when we are strongly connected and completely sold out to him, we don't live in fear. We don't live in fear. We don't live in fear of health issues. We don't live in fear of economic issues. We don't fear governmental issues. We don't fear that stuff. Now listen, Corey, how can you say that? I have two children as well. I'm gonna tell you, I have two kids in the public school system, right? Like two of them. They're beautiful little girls, and they hear crazy stuff, and, and don't get me wrong, because I love them, there are times when I'm like, oh, I just wanna retreat and live in the woods and build a big wall around us. That's not what, I'm not called to live like that. I'm not called to live afraid of everything. I'm not called to live in constant unrest. I'm not called to live in constant hopelessness. It's not what I'm called to live into. It's not what we've been designed to be. But the only way to have peace, right, in the middle of the most chaotic world, the only way to find rest in an anxious and restless world, the only way to find hope in a depressed and hopeless world is completely relenting to Jesus. 100% of me, God. Here's my money, here's my marriage, here's my children, here's my health, here's my future. God, it is all in your hands, right? All of it is yours. I trust you with all of it, God. Of course, I'm gonna live wise. Of course, I'm gonna live logically and within reason, all those things. But God, at the end of the day, it's all yours. It is all yours. But maybe the reason some of us don't get to that point is we honestly don't believe that Jesus loves us as much as he does. 
Jesus even says in the gospel, which one of you parents, being as flawed as you are, if your children ask for bread, that you give them a rock? How many of you would do that? None of you, right? And Jesus says, how much more do you think I love you? As the perfect parent, as the perfect heavenly father. But I think somewhere deep in our brain, we, we will not give certain parts of ourselves over to Jesus because I don't think we understand just how much God loves us, loves us, loves you. But if we could fully understand and trust that God wants what's best for us, we can let go of those things. And it is when we let go of those things that we finally find rest. We finally find joy. We finally find contentment. Not because of what I have in this world, but because I have him, right? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, but you're curious, maybe if you have any questions um, about God, about the church, about what it means to be a Christian, whatever the case may be, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here at the corner of the stage. Any questions? If you wanna come up and talk to Mike, he'd love to talk with you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything, it can be about you, about a family member, job situation, moving, health, whatever the case may be, please. The Bible says where any two or more are gathered in my name, that God is amongst them, right? So come up and get prayer. Come up and get prayer. The last thing is this. All around this room, there is communion. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is bread and wine, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as they repent for their sins. Here's what I want you to do today, though. And if you don't have time to do it in here after you take communion, maybe on your ride home or sometime later tonight, I want you to pray something for me, right? And I want you to open your mouth and ask God. Pray to God, God, show me if there is any part of myself that I am not, that I am not giving to you. God, if there is any part of my life that I am not trusting you with, please show me. If you will honestly pray that, if you will honestly say to God, reveal to me what I am withholding from you, I give you my word, God will show you. I bet some of you know right now already. But if you will pray that, God will show you. And here's the thing, if he shows you, then you have to act on that. And you have to trust that if you give that over to God, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good, okay? Father, Lord, I love you. God, I praise you. I thank you so much for this church. Lord, I love these people. God, help us, Lord, to... to not live in fear, God, but to trust you with all things. Lord, with our lives, Lord, with our families, God, with our jobs, with everything, Lord, in our lives. God, Lord, let us just, let us lay that down at your feet and give you that, knowing that you want what's best for us. God, we love you. We thank you. Bless every man and woman in this room, everyone watching online. Lord, until we meet again, God, keep your hand on us, Lord. Keep your hand on the world around us, God. We are a confused people and we just need your help, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.